Okay, I think that we are ready to get going, so we're going to get you back to your seats. If you're here in the room with us today, uh, I'm going to take this time to say good morning to everybody who is online with us as well. It's great to have you here today with us. Uh, my name is Sean. I am one of the pastors here on this team as well, and it is great to see you here today. I'm glad that you would take some time out of your busy weekend to be here. And before we're about to jump in, I, I'm going to do one quick thing here. Uh, we're, we're a church who's always been about honor. I, honor, we got to give honor where honor is due. Today is a great day for many of us that we get to be here together. And for some of us, it is also a sad day. Today we say goodbye to probably what is known as probably pillars of, of this church who are making a transition into Vernon. <laughs> so a long time ago, Lisa and I moved here and we adopted parents here at our church and it was Charlie and Marie Harbor. And today... Unfortunately, the son is here to steal them away from us. I know. Uh, I know. But uh, for a number of decades, you've loved this church. And you've loved Jesus. And you've been staples. And I know you've had to do this emotional thing for the last month already, but we just want to say we love you. And we're not going to say goodbye. We're going to say farewell. We're going to see you again. But I just want to say on behalf of our church, we're so grateful for how you invested here, how you served us and you loved us with all of your candy, Charlie, back in the day, to how you served everything that was here. We love you and we're going to miss you, but we know God is not done with you yet and he's taking you there, yeah? So... Today, this is, I know your last Sunday here in this church, but on behalf of our church, I just want to say thank you for everything that you are and what you be, mean to me and what you mean to many in this room. And um, can we show our appreciation, our deep gratitude to Charlie and Mary? I hate being emotional. Love ya. Love ya. Let's, uh, how do you transition? Well, you do it this way. You ask a question. If you were to think of the greatest thing to come out of the 1980s, what would it be to you? <laughs> Our children. Wow, that's, that's one of the best answers I've heard, actually, today. It would be good. You know, some of us would lean into um, music. Music would be one of those things out of the 80s that everybody's like, yeah, like, we, we love the music. Now, if you are special and privileged enough to see this, because I, I realize when I look at some of the faces here in the room, you're like, the 80s? <laughs> like, what's that all about? Well, listen, for those of you that weren't born, got to walk through these, fantastic technology. There was this thing called a mixtape, and you could, like, put these, you could, like, it was, it was way better than your all Apple product and things like this, and you would stick it into this thing called a Walkman. It was so cool. Technology back there was just amazing. Some people would actually propose that it was the clothes of the 80s that were the best thing that came out of it. In fact, children today are looking at their parents, who they mock a lot, and be like, where are your 
you're closer from the 80s because it's cool now, like, and it comes around. But I am going to arguably propose the greatest thing to ever come out of the 80s was none of those things. But the greatest thing, again, arguably, to come out of the 1980s was, was Marty McFly <laughs> and Back to the Future. Yes, anybody, okay, like, this is one of the coolest series ever. You got Marty, you got Biff, you've got Doc with the crazy hair, good Scott, Marty! Like, it was just, it was tons of fun. He had this time machine that he built called the DeLorean, and, and it just so happened that in his quick moment, like, I think it was Libyan terrorists, and it was plutonium to kind of gear this car back, and the idea and the objective of the movie is they get into the DeLorean, and it goes back... To the future. What they do is they suddenly plant Marty over here, and it's here where he begins to see his parents from a way earlier age. He wasn't a part of the picture. In fact, his mom even likes Marty back. It's weird. But anyway, it, pro- it kind of keeps going along. And he also is then, at some point in the movie, there was this projection to the year of 2015 from this 1980s movie. Everybody's looking at 2015 like it was somewhere in the distant future. But here we are, October 2015, we get there. But it shows them this picture, and it got me thinking, like this whole back to the future idea. How many of you here today would love to know the future for your life? Some of you are like, no way. But a lot of people are like, yeah, I actually would like to know the future. And I want to kind of bring us back to this idea today because I think in, in the text that I'm about to read to us today, we actually have been given the future narrative from God himself for your life. Like he wrote it down and he wants you to be abundantly aware in this series that we're doing, Church and State, that he has already written the future. So what I want us to do is I want us to go back to go to the future today. I want us to go back to Daniel chapter 2 and then I want us to see what God has to say about your future and about my future. Are you ready to jump in the DeLorean? of spiritualness today. I don't know what that means, but let's do it anyway. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, it's on the screen for you as well. But Bibles are a really good thing. So let's take a look at it. This was the dream. And now we're going to tell the king what it means. So context, the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who we've been studying for a number of months this year, he has a dream. And he tells the people in his camp, tell me what the dream means, and if you don't, I'll kill you. It's good news. And he goes, you have to indicate what it is. So there's one guy, his name is Daniel, goes to God, God, I need you with his friends. They prayed all night. God reveals this dream. This is what that dream says about the rest of history. He says, you, majesty, you are the greatest of the kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler of, over all the inhabited world and has even put wild animals and birds under your control. And you are the head of gold. But after you and your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise up to take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. And following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. And that kingdom will be one for be a fourth one as strong as iron. The kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and the toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of the iron, and other parts will be as weak as the clay. 
this mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves. They're going to form alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. And during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock that was cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And your word is very instructive to us today as believers. And I ask that you will teach us today. Help us to settle in to your kingdom and how it is established forever. So I thank you for this time. And and I ask that, Jesus, you would make us more like you as we proceed today. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. I've titled this message this morning, Back to the Future. This series has been tons of fun, hasn't it? Have, <laughs> some hesitation in the room. Okay. This, this series has been tons of fun. I can also admit to you that this series has been really hard. Have you felt that? Have you felt the tension in the room as we presented and talked about some things here in this place? I mean, we've wrestled through a lot of things. The whole idea of church and state has been, we're asking you uh, together, like, have, are you able to put your faith filter in front of your political filter? Not reverse. Are you able to do these things? So we've investigated this big question, but to really ask this one question here today, it's not whether Jesus is on your side, but whether you are on his. Like, that's really what we're asking when it comes to this series. You have positions, you have opinions, but are you on his side? Where is your allegiance? And what I find really interesting about our text today is God decided to communicate to a pagan king not only the future events of his life, but life in the whole entire world. What has been read here today is the history of human civilization and government. And it all began when Israel looked at God and said, we don't need you. And God, being the good gentleman that he was, looked at Israel and said, okay, you do your own thing. And from there, we have the statue that was given to us to see now, in story time, which is our previous series, we put this uh, picture up onto the screen for you, and it really is the dream that we have been talking about here today out of Daniel chapter 2. And we want to take a good look at this statue because it really reveals history to you and I. I mean, it's interesting to me, again, that God would decide to, with a pagan king, tell you and I today the rest of the future. He went back to the future. So the, the statue um, starts with the head of gold, as we see. The head of gold is the Babylonian Empire. It's King Nebuchadnezzar. They lasted about 70 years. In fact, about 100 years after um, Nebuchadnezzar's removal from Babylon, a historian went in and he looked at the city, and he said everywhere he looked, it was as if it was a city of glitter. This city was so in, enriched with gold everywhere because King Nebuchadnezzar was that. He was the head of gold. But God reminds King Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you're going to be pretty grand, guy, but you are not going to have a legacy off of this. And then we're introduced to the, the next section. 
which is the Medes and the Persians. This was a, an empire that was around 200 years. And interesting about the silver of the Medes and the Persians, you'll notice that the statue has two arms. This is very intentional because what it is talking about is two different kingdoms, two different arms who are going to come in and strong arm Babylon out of their existence. And God, through this dream, is telling Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be two kingdoms. Can you imagine thinking you're all of that and you know full well somebody's about to take you out? This is what Nebuchadnezzar has to deal with, but this is where they land today. It leads us to the third part of the statue, and this was the Greek Empire. This is where the bronze came in, the 130 years was their regime. Any historians here today, you will recognize the name Alexander the Great. That's him. It's part of this kingdom who comes in, and what they did with all of their military is they clothed them in bronze because it was a very powerful tool in going to war. And then we are landed into the fourth empire in the kingdom that we have been shown in the dream, and it is the empire of Rome. And they were of an iron and a clay mixture. And this is important, again, for us today to see is that the Roman Empire came into existence about 50 years before Jesus was born, this is the same empire that puts Jesus on the cross. And the thing about this um, empire is that they would crush you if you, if you ever dared to show resistance to them. They would take you out. You'll notice a couple of dates on there because people have struggled with, has the Roman Empire ended? Because we are not really given another empire in the picture from King Nebuchadnezzar. So the Western Empire is seemingly has been said that the Roman influence and you know, strategy of those days ended around 465. But then in the Eastern Empire, that's where you see the number 1453. This was the fall of Constantinople. And then it kind of just begs the question, like, has the Roman Empire really ever ended? Because what, what does that mean for us today? I mean, we see all of these empires and kingdoms, but is there another one? And I would propose today that we probably, according to this picture and to this dream, we still live within the remnants of a Roman regime and a Roman empire. Now, again, we're not dominated by them right now, but what I want to talk about is the influence that Rome has left on this world. The, one of the original languages, Latin, it actually comes from Rome. It is formulated around many of the languages in the world today. When we look at the form of government and law, it still comes deeply trenched in the Roman system and their way of life. And so we, we kind of see all of these influences of Rome that still exist today, but it brings us to this moment. What do we have in front of us? And what again is neat is that this snapshot is the snapshot that God gives to Daniel about uh, like thousands and thousands of years ago for you and I to see today. So we've had this discussion, discourse on politic and government in the last month, but I want to say four things to us today about government um, and about policy that is important when I look at this picture. Number one is that human government stands on a delicate foundation. This is important because everything that we have seen in that picture today, from the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron, it is supported on a mixture that is mud. Think about that for a second. All of these fine you know, pricey pieces, it is settled on what is known as mud. What I think this picture reminds us again today is that our governments are unstable 
And they always will be unstable because that which the picture showed us, we're in that era of mixture of clay and iron. It will not stand. So we have to see that. The second thing I see is that human government is deteriorating. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because the, the statue started with what? Gold. And it ended with mud. And I want us to see what God is showing us, that this is a deterioration of government all around us for the rest of time. The third thing I see is that there is a disintegrating family of government. And why I say that is because the last two pieces on the picture talked about the feet and the mixture that was there. It was both the iron and the clay. And what we see here is there are two conflicting elements that are happening even in this moment. I mean, many of us know the iron fist of power, right? We talk about that. Well, that's in the picture. The iron fist is all about authority, but then it's the clay-like voice of the people. And you notice that with clay-like voice, everything is changing all the time. Have you noticed this? Even in our own nation, everything stands, everything is good in this voice. And these elements are in conflict with each other to say that with each of the metal and how it increases in strength, but when we begin to degenerate in our morality, guess what we try to do? We try to get stronger and bring force. But we see this about our governments today. It is deteriorating. And the fourth thing that I want us to see from the picture is this, is that all human government is temporal. This is true of every politician. This is true of every political party. Please hear me. Their time is limited they do not stand. The unfortunate part for some of us today is that you may not be alive to see when it happens, to which many of us do this. Ah, oh, I wish I could see that. Because we've talked about, just get rid of this person, that person, we're going to be good. No, we're not. Because we see, according to the picture that God gave to a pagan king, that no human government is going to stand at all. So, I mean, I really start today by saying this. Isn't that unbelievable? that God would show us in Scripture the rest of the time when it comes to policy and government. Fascinating to me that he would allow you and I to do that. That for me, living in a politically charged climate like Canada, like, what do I do with this now? I mean, what, what is my permission? What are my steps that I can take? Or what can I stand on in order to proceed moving forward? But I want to say this um, to move forward today is that Christianity has always thrived most as a life-giving minority, not a political majority. I want you to think about this. This is New Testament. We've always been a, pol a political minority, but we allow our life and our lifestyle to speak and influence the culture. And this is important as we look at the book of Acts and we see what is happening there to today. Have we deviated away from this model? Do we want to be the political majority versus the minority, but allowing the voice of God to move in and through us to impact and change the world? I think that's important for us to look at. But as we've looked at this picture, I'm now looking at Daniel's life. And where I want to kind of land this plane today is by observing a couple of things of Daniel's life. And it is this. This guy had integrity and faithfulness and he had that because he did not live for Babylon. He lived for another city. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 shows us another gentleman whose name was Abraham who chose not to live for another city. And I'm asking us here at Colwood Church today, what city do you live for? What city are you a part of? 
because I think Daniel shows us that there are some things here that we can work with when it comes to living for the city that is not of this world. It is a city that has a king, and his name is Jesus, and he wants his kingdom to rule on this earth. So four things. I'm going to talk to us first about biblical and worldly tolerance. Now, tolerance. This is a very charged word in our society. And since we've been having fun all month long, let's talk about another hard one today too. But what I want us to see here today is that Daniel disagreed with the people of Babylon. Let that sink in. He disagreed with the people of Babylon. He disagreed with its king. He disagreed with the king's men. Totally disagreed. He was opposed to their worldviews. And yet what Daniel did is astonishing to me. He intervened, though, and he preserved their lives. See, these were the people who tried to backstab him. These were the people who tried to get him killed and his friends killed multiple times. And yet what Daniel does is he steps in and he preserves them because this is what true tolerance is today. True tolerance is other-centered rather than being self-centered. And so I want us today to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2, where we have this incredible encouragement to tolerate one another in love. See, tolerance is a biblical piece, but it can be manipulated to be something different. The Cambridge Dictionary defines tolerance as, as this. It's a willingness to accept behavior or beliefs that are different from your own, although you might not agree with or approve of them. It's to deal with something unpleasant or annoying. We tolerate a lot of things in this life. Could be a person, could be the leaky faucet, could be a noisy child, but we tolerate certain things. We understand this definition. But what I've experienced here in our world is that we have a worldly tolerance that says there are no rules, all of the opinions are equal, so don't judge somebody else. Have you heard these things before? It's real stuff. Now, Cambridge goes on to explain the definition of intolerance as well, which is interesting, but I've got to tell you, it leaves me confused. Because now tolerance is disapproving of or refusing to accept ideas, people, or ways of behaving that are different from your own. I was just told intolerance that I could, you know, think about it differently, but now I can't. Or the last piece there, exhibiting physiological, i.e., those of you who are lactose intolerant, here, here's a tip for you. Don't go after dairy right? Your body is going to revolt against your life and against your system. So we understand this intolerance piece as well. But it leaves us confused. Like, what can I do? Like, what can I stand on? We're talking about church and state here. Can I have a voice? Can I have a say? And I want to propose to us today with a permission, gently, is that of course we can stand on certain things because of what tolerance should and totally be. But we have a new tolerance that is around us here in this world, and it's completely different from the definitions that are even given to us today. And it seizes on the idea today of offense that, and, and holds that I must never offend anyone else by expressing disapproval of any aspect of his or her behavior or ideas. Have you felt this before, that you cannot say certain things? But I love how John Lennox kind of packages this. And he says that in many countries, tolerance has degenerated into a simplistic, all-affirming political correctness, a debilitating and very dangerous attitude that prevents people saying what they believe in case anyone should take offense. It is the very antithesis of free speech, and it is having a paralyzing effect on public disorder. 
I agree with this statement quite a bit. But I said that today that there is a biblical and a worldly tolerance that we have to understand. The actual word tolerance in its original language, which is Latin, which comes from what empire again? Rome. Tolerance. Guess what it really means in its original languages? To bear, to endure, and to sustain hardship. Have you experienced that in Canada? Probably with some of our belief system. See, what tolerance does at the end of the day, it asserts the right to have your convictions, to make judgments about right and wrong, which differ from those of others. So it's okay. But Pastor Tyson delivered a fantastic message last Sunday. If you haven't heard it, you need to go back and hear it. One of the verses that he pulled out came out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Because this is what I'm telling to us today. Biblical tolerance will always advance with gentleness and respect. So if the things that you are saying out of your mouth, the things that you are living out loud, if they are not gentle nor respectful, it is not biblical. We have to understand this. This is important for us to move forward. So John Lennox goes forward and he says this, tolerance does not demand that we accept the opinions, beliefs, and lifestyles of others. But catch this, but only that to learn, that, that we learn to live without forcing them to line up with us. Do not miss this. This is very critical. What I am saying to us today is that you have beliefs that are Christian and that are faith. And guess what Daniel did? He stood for his belief and his conviction when he was pushed in his worship. And when it always comes to the worship of somebody else different than God, stand your ground. But what we are saying to us in church and state is we have to have this type of tolerance. You are not trying to convince other people to you. You can have your beliefs. That is okay. But as biblical tolerance defines to us how we do that, gentleness, respect, it matters an entire lot. And I'll prove it with God. You know what God does not tolerate? Sin, wickedness, people who are opposed to his ways and what he is doing. He does not tolerate our disobedience. It's okay to stand on your beliefs. Please know today it's your how you do that in this tolerance conversation that is important. The second thing that I'm going to leave with us today is that we are to love unconditionally and agree to disagree is okay. Now, I want to shine the light on my life for this for a quick moment. And I want to say that I'm so thankful today that God loves me unconditionally. I know this may burst some of your bubbles, but I do a lot of wrong things and dumb things. It's crazy, eh? That that guy would do that. And God looks at my idiocy sometimes. I'm saying that. He, I'm not saying he's saying that. He looks at what I do, and he's like, Sean, I still love you. Okay, this is good. I don't know if you've ever done this with God as well, but God and I, we've agreed to disagree on some things in my life, believe it or not. Maybe you've done this, where God is like, I want you to do that, and you're like, nope. And then you would say the same, God, it's okay to agree to disagree. Okay. Um, to which God, being the gentleman that he is, says, okay, you go do that. Let's see how that works out for you, Sean. <laughs> and I've done this. 
And so this, this idea of agree to disagree, I think God models it even in, in my life. I think Jesus himself, with his posse of 12, he does it too. I mean, the intriguing thing about Jesus and two of the guys that he decides to put into his 12 that are supposed to now change the world, he takes Simon the Zealot. You know what these zealots did? They killed people who didn't kind of align to what they needed. So Jesus takes one of those guys, puts him in the group, and then he takes this, this Roman slave, and Matthew, a tax collector, and he puts him into the same group. Do you think those two agreed on everything? No way. And Jesus said, go change the world. <laughs> so what it shows to me today is it's okay to agree to disagree. That's okay. But you will notice that when I proposed this weeks ago, I had this flipped. I actually told you to agree to disagree and then love unconditionally. But I'm flipping it today intentionally. Because I think that this agree to disagree statement, many of us, and I've done this myself, I use it in a passive aggressive tense. Um, and that to me is not biblical tolerance that we have just talked about. Let me explain to us. How many King James Version people do we got in the room today? All right, are you ready to go? Okay, we got a couple of people. Listen, this, this is okay, but I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to sing to you, King James, because back in Sunday school, I'm going back to story time, I was, I was taught this little song, this little lick, and it went like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. You see all the Fs? All right, that's King James. It's weird, it's strange, but anyway, it's there. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, so beloved let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. If you don't love first, you don't know God, is what it says. And so many of us with this agree to disagree, we come at it with a passive aggressiveness. It's like, well, we just don't see eye to eye with the other, so we're going to agree to disagree, and you walk away. And I think biblical tolerance shows us today that you have to engage with people properly. Your how matters. What I find here is that when your motivation, when my motivation is off, I will be passive aggressive with people and I will not engage. But my Bible tells me that if you do not lead in love, you do not know God. I don't know how much more New Testament this thing can get when we're talking church and state. It comes right from his word for our lives. Have conversations with people. Do not be afraid. Here is why. God loves those people just as much as he loves you. And some of you want to argue with me and say, no, he doesn't. He loves me more because I go to church. False. He loves his people, and his encouragement is for us to love unconditionally, like Daniel, who didn't maybe want to, but did, because he knew that's what God wanted. Why? Because it is always about biblical tolerance, other-centered rather than self-centered. The third thing I'm going to leave with us out of this text today is I need for you and I today to count the cost. That when you want to stand on your biblical faith, its foundations, I'm here to tell you today that it's going to come with a cost. And do not whine and complain when it does, because God has told us it's going to come when you stand 
when you tolerate biblically what he needs. Why do I know this? Because when I look at Daniel's life, guess what happened when he decided to stand on his beliefs? Throw him into the lion's den. He then took Daniel's friends and he, tra- and he threw him into a fiery furnace because they stood, again, on something that was calling a lack of allegiance to Jesus in their worship, tried to get rid of them. And I'm here to tell you today that when you're going to announce and you're going to make your trumpet calls, a cost will come. So be really careful with what you ask for these days. But it will happen. But I've given us a permission from Scripture to believe on the things that you believe in, but just know that a cost is going to come. In fact, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that people are going to hate you. People are going to persecute you. I do want you to come out of them. I want you to be with the world, but come out of them. Don't get lost in the nonsense of their kingdoms and their governments and their policies. I want you to stand and know who I am because he is the government today. It's okay for you to live out your faith, but please hear me. How you do that matters a lot to Jesus. That's why he encourages us to lead with love, to lead with gentleness, to lead with respect. Even though you are so strong and opinionated in what you think, lead with those things because that's what the biblical orientation does for followers of Jesus Christ. St. Augustine uses this quote. It is a brilliant quote. And he says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Quit getting lost on the non-essentials. We have to get back to what Jesus has done for us in that we are to be a church that is unified. Not uniformity, unified. And we do that in love to go forward. Now the last thing that I'm going to leave with you today is the stone. Because in our dream and in Daniel's interpretation, he finishes with this stone. He says that this stone was was not made from human hands. It was cut from a mountain. It said that this stone rolls and it strikes the statue and it obliterates the statue. Wind comes in, blows it to the four corners of the earth. This stone grows into a mountain and it covers the whole entire earth. See, really where this whole thing with church and state starts and begins is with this stone. And here's the spoiler alert of the stone. The stone is Jesus Christ. He is the one that comes and obliterates all government, all policy. He is the one who stands today. And I believe that Daniel's interpretation of this dream has a duality to it. I think Daniel is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ and when he would establish his kingdom. He would begin the kingdom of God here on this earth. But the second thing that Daniel is doing over here is he's telling you the end of time. And this is the other part of the stone is that Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. Like he's going to come back for you and I. So Daniel is talking all of these pieces and it lands us in a very beautiful piece of scripture that I do want to read over us today out of... uh, 1 Peter 2 verses 4 says this, you are coming to Christ who is the living stone to God's temple. But listen to this stone. He was rejected by people, 
but he was chosen by God for great honor. And guess what? You are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests, and, and through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in this stone, if you trust in Jesus, listen to this, you will never be disgraced. Yes, you will trust him. You will recognize the honor God has given to him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone. Listen to this. This other stone, not only is he the cornerstone, he's going to make you stumble. Isn't that good news today? He's going to cause people to stumble over who he is. He is the rock that will make people fall. And they stumble because they do not obey God's word, and they so make the fate that was planned for them. I'm here to tell you today that God, with this image out of Daniel chapter 2, said that a stone came, and he came and he established Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, that everything is built on Jesus Christ. You want to know what else happens with Jesus Christ? He's going to make you stumble. He's going to come and challenge your belief system because if it doesn't align to his kingdom and the things that he wants, he's going to make you stumble. And I think that's why we have tension and why we wrestle with the things we do all the time because we are coming in contact with the kingdom of God and what he wants for you and I today. But let me tell you one other thing about this stone. This stone here today, this stone is control. He is in control. And he is the one who has established governments. And guess what? He's the one who's going to take governments down. And let's do this right now. Let's have Christmas in March. Are you ready for this? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Look at it. And the what? And the government will be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and of his ruling government... There will be no end. He is the stone, and it rests all on him. And I want you to look at the invitation. God says that I have placed a cornerstone, and on him rests everything. And then he said this, now I want you. Somebody say you. Come on, point to somebody. I know it's impolite, but just do it. You. You, he says this, you are the living stones. You want to know how we biblically tolerate this world and its policy and government? Is we get this invitation today from Jesus to go be a living stone. And guess what? The stone doesn't fail, the stone is victorious. All empires have risen and fallen under his command and watch. And that has not changed today. Jesus wants you and I together to be living stones of gentleness, of respect, of love, of tolerance, of not engaging and losing our marbles. Dear God, help us over non-essentials. Be a living stone. That's what he wants for you and I today. So may we engage church and state because Jesus, it shows us right here, it's on his shoulders anyway. And we get to be influencers in that. Let's be living stones this week. And not just this week, for our lives. Because the stone will not fail. Amen? Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you that you are the cornerstone. You are that stone in that picture that rolls in and obliterates it all. You are the one who is in charge, and it is your kingdom and your kingdom alone. There's nothing else that matches nor compares to what you have. And I pray today that, Jesus, we would, we would fall on the stone, on the cornerstone of who you are, where fear maybe wants to be the narrative, where non-essentials wants to be the narrative. No, no, no. Help us to land on what you say. How am I supposed to love? How am I supposed to lead and direct? Because I'm confident of this one thing. You will, you will raise your church up and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so help us to be living stones as we walk into this week. Help us to engage state, knowing that we have an opportunity to stand on our beliefs, but to walk in a biblical tolerance. Thank you for a man like Daniel who gives us plenty of example of how to live our lives in this politically charged climate. And we will do that to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for you deserve that. And with all eyes closed, perhaps you're in this place today or you're online and you have never submitted your life to the stone of Jesus Christ. And you say, Sean, I need that stone. I need to be a part of that kingdom. The decision is yours today. But I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. It's unconditional for you. He gave his life for you so that you would understand the firm foundation that he could be for you. And if you're here in this room today, you're saying, Sean, I want that Jesus. I want that stone. On the count of three, if that's you, would you raise your hand in this place? Look at me in the eye and then you could throw that back down. But I'd love to introduce you to the stone that will set your life on an incredible path. If that's you today, on the count of three, one, two, three. Is there anybody in this room? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, yeah. And if you're online today, same with you. Just click that button, raise that hand. But if you raised your hand today, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I see that you're the cornerstone. I know that you love me, you died for me. But I know that you're not a dead king, you're a risen king. And that all of the governments of this world and of this life, they rest on your shoulders. And I see who you are today. I invite you to be the king of my life. Take my sin, take my shame, my guilt, and exchange it today as I know you can. Come and live in me is what I pray for today. And so Jesus, for our friends in this space today who have said yes to you, start them on that journey in Jesus' name. And if you did say yes to Jesus, whether in this room or online today, I'm going to encourage you to text the word life to 250-478-7113. It'll be on the screens as we conclude today. But we want a pastor to come alongside of you to rejoice with you and to teach with you as you go. So Father, allow us to walk into this week knowing that you're in charge and that I can be a living stone for that kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen couple things on your way out this morning. First of all, if you're brand new to Call with Church, welcome. I see Pastor Tyson is in the back there and is ready to say hello to you. So please make your way over there to say hi. I'm inviting you tonight at 6.30 to come and join us at Encounter. It's going to be a great night as we seek God's face together. Now, go be a stone, a living one for him.
We love you, church. Have a good week, and we'll see you next week.